Sports Radio 610 presents Seth Payne and Sean Pendergast. We coming to eighth time. Let's get to work in, man. Let's go. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Happy Thursday to all of you. Nice to be with you. Appreciate you getting up with us. We are with you till 10 a.m. We are Payne and Pendergast. I am the uh, I am the latter in that. I'm Pendergast. He is Payne. How are you, Payne? How are you doing this morning, my friend? I'm good. I'm excited. I've been, I've been boning up on baseball podcasts and reading my fan graphs. I'm, I'm a little too nerded out. I'm going to dial it back a little bit on the nerdery. That's all right. I'm going to watch some. I'm going to see if I can find some video of Dusty Baker. Um, uh, was he with the NAACP last night? Yeah, yeah, was, I, uh, I, yes, yes, I, yeah. Yes. I, I saw it on my yeah. TV. I didn't hear what was going on, but yes, yeah. he was. I got to. I got to get back to basics and just get some of the human stuff in. Good. Just watch, watch Dusty tell stories about the old days. Okay. Well, the we have um, we made a big announcement yesterday at nine forty-five that this this audience in particular, the early early rising crowd, had the least likely chance of hearing because we did it at the end of the show. So. I, I'm going to re-unveil what we, what we announced yesterday because it is Astros-related. So, Ben, if you would do the honors. Ben is literally playing a drum in the control room right now. Uh, Seth Payne and Sean Pendergast are going to spring training. That's right. We are? We're going to spring training. Yeah. Were you not listening? I wasn't listening? really paying attention yesterday. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. You're going. This is news to me. Yeah, you're going. Flights booked. Airbnb booked. How do you get, how'd they get my traveler information? That's a, I have it's it focus, on my phone. man. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're um, going. We're going the week of uh, February twenty seventh. We're flying down on Sunday the twenty sixth. It's the first week of games, and we will be there uh, through Friday. We're going to be there February twenty seventh through March third, and we're going to be yeah. immersed in everything down there. We're going to be going to the games. We're going to be in the clubhouse. We're going to be doing our show from West Palm Beach. It's going to be mm-hmm. awesome. We're going to be out about town. If you're going to be down there, say hello. A lot of people. More and more people going to Astros spring training now that, A, they're really good, and, B, it's not in Kissimmee anymore. It's in West yeah, Palm Beach. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, it's uh, very, very much looking forward to that. I think that, if anything, I, I almost feel I almost sense more stress around the Astros right now than, than there had been in any of the previous seasons, almost because people could kind of fixate on the us-against-the-world mentality before where it was, okay, Defending the Astros from the being better than everybody else scandal, all of that. Now that they've had two World Series victories in six years, now I feel like it's more about, okay, uh, how do we cement this as a legacy? And there's a lot more pressure that comes with that. It's a, you know, winning, winning two, if you have three victories in seven years with two in a row, hard to argue that in modern sports that's not a flat-out dynasty, not to mention the two appearances in the World Series. Yeah, they, that, they, that they didn't win, but one of them, they yeah. like honestly, one of them, it feels like at Washington won they should have. They didn't win a single game at home in that World Series. That was just weird. I, the, the very last thing you touched on there in listing the different accomplishments that would, be, that, that would be on their resume if they were to win this year, winning two in a row, that yeah. is, that's something that just, ha- it just has not been done this century, I guess technically it has because the Yankees won in 99 and 2000. But as far yeah. as winning the two World Series that constitute back-to-back, that hasn't been done yet in this century. And I think, I think there's already people, you know, it's dynasty, so we're debating semantics. Your definition might right. be different than mine and so on and so forth. This we know, and this is a case with, with any sport nowadays, football in particular, because there's similar debates going on about the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's really striking how similar the resumes are within their sports of the Astros and the Chiefs in terms of consistently getting to the final four of their sport, 
every year over the last five or six years, um, getting to the, the biggest stage about half the time, if not more, actually more for both now in their little windows here, winning it twice. They both won it twice. Um, I think that winning it back-to-back, if there's anybody who doesn't view this, Seth, as the modern definition of a dynasty, and I do because of free agency and everything else, and the Astros are not a team that just can go balls to the wall just paying everybody and going over the luxury tax, or at least they choose not to. Um, Winning back-to-back would have to cement it, I think, even for the – well. The biggest skeptics will always point to cheating in 2017, so I don't think about those people. I don't even know what you're talking about. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but they got they actually got punished for that. Um, it's but a bunch I, of non-sensory. Back-to-back would be huge. Back-to-back, and I think this they, they've been talking about that from about the day after they won the one last year. Like, I don't, there's, I don't sense any... I don't sense any complacency with all the interviews that they've done. I think losing Verlander is probably something that maybe yeah. sharpens their edge a little bit as well. Let's see. The the Warriors won four championships in was it seven years or eight years? First one was a... first one was two thousand fifteen. The, the the last yeah. one was last season, so twenty twenty two. Yeah, so eight seasons. Yeah. That's pretty damn impressive. I feel like with basketball, not to take any away from the, the Warriors, because I know everybody just loves the Warriors. How could how could you not love that bunch? Yeah, um, the little engine that could. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the 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 tough guy who kicks people in the nargs <laughs> right. as his hallmark move. Yeah, right. that's uh, how could you not love the Warriors? But basketball's. I don't want to say it's easier, but it's um, with your few key players. If you can retain them, then yeah. obviously you can keep everybody together. Baseball and football. It's harder to keep everybody together. No to doubt. Keep that mix around. So, um, very, very impressive what the Chiefs have done. More impressive what the Astros have done. So, I would put right now, in the three major sports that we pay attention to in this city, I would put Warriors, then Astros, then Chiefs, in terms of impressiveness of their their current dynasty or whatever you want to call it, their yeah. current run. Yeah, yeah, and I think in some ways because the, the the last one the Warriors won last year kind of, for them, kind of came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. They'd lost Durant, Clay Thompson had missed two seasons with injuries, you know, Steph's getting older, all that stuff, and they were still able to, to win a championship, so that was that was impressive. Um, I was reading a, an article, I don't know if it was an article, it was Brian McTaggart's newsletter that he does in email. It's really good. If you're not an, Ast- if, if you're an Astros fan, I should say, and you're not getting Brian McTaggart's weekly email. It's just got really good consumable nuggets in it. Um, Which is, by the way, yeah. underrated, still very good method of keeping an audience. The email. email. Yeah, absolutely. The newsletter. Yeah. yeah, people people think that's old school, and it is. But, man, uh, when you get fired from one job and move on to another, all those people on your email list still can keep track of it's, you. You're yeah. keeping your audience. There's no question. Yeah. And McTaggart yeah. does a really good job with his. Um, but after reading the, the lead in his newsletter yesterday was Luis Garcia. And this, you know, the the baseball's um, vigilance in this upcoming season against uh, or to reinforce the balk rules to the letter of the law to where Garcia seems to be one of the ones most impacted because of just his rock the baby delivery involves multiple steps. And the balk rule really only lets you step back and then step forward. After reading McTaggart's newsletter, I'm more worried about this because the team has been on this since December and they've been working on tweaking Garcia's delivery I don't. It's just a karma thing for me, Seth. I don't. I don't like the. I. I don't like the. There's a witchcraft aspect to pitching where I feel like this could mess with Garcia a little well, bit. This is where, it, and it gets a little bit confusing because this isn't even necessarily about the pitch clock or the balk rule because Garcia pitches out of the stretch when there's runners on, on base. base. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's more about them just saying, hey, this is the rule. We're getting a little too fancy with some of these uh, with some of these wind-ups, so we're just going to crack the whip and keep everything a little bit more vanilla, which is annoying. I think that I, Garcia already pitches out of the stretch just fine, so with, with no wind-up, I don't think that's a big deal, um, other than just for comfort level and overall dominance. Uh, there, there is, some people think that you, know, you might be more prone to injury when you're not winding up because you're really just trying to heave everything from your arm instead of really loading up all those muscles as Garcia is going back and forth and getting his glutes involved. The biggest concern seems to be that with that first little step he takes, and you can see this when you watch different cut-ups of Luis, uh, Luis Garcia's wind-up, he, take, he kind of alters the timing of the step and the direction of the step, which they think might throw batters off a little bit. So in getting rid of that step... I think he can still get into a rhythm by modifying his windup a little bit, but maybe he loses a little bit of that ambush effect that he had from that. But I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about it. I'm a little bit more concerned about some of the other things, like the shift with Framber Valdez, who has who set a record for number of ground ball outs last year. Mm-hmm. Um, just exactly what the absence of the shift might do to his performance. Yep, I think it's a valid concern as well. Hey, look, it's, it is nice to have a team where the biggest concern going into the season is what are the new rules going to do to all of our all-stars that we have and uh, backup catcher. Like, those are our biggest concerns. The Texans, oh, need, the Texans need a quarterback. You know? I, by the way, I don't know if Framber set a record. He had 314 ground ball outs, which was – that's 41 more than any other pitcher. Okay, they, they, that, that's a good stat, too. <laughs> yeah. 41 more. That's more relevant to right now. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah like, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I don't know what Sandy Koufax did back in the day, but as far as right now, right. nobody gets more ground ball outs than Framber, so the, the absence of the shift might be a big deal. Stylistically, it might impact him the most, absolutely. All right, we got a ton of stuff to get to today on the show. 713-572-4610. That's the Trailer Wheel and Frame text page. Um, to the Texans we go. DJ Bianame of ESPN.com had an article yesterday about the Texans. He had something interesting to say. According to some sources, what were coaching candidates being told about the number two pick? We will tell you what they were being told according to this article next. Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, good to be with you. Here was D'Amico Ryans back at his introductory press conference, which was two weeks ago today. Uh, when he was asked about the importance of the quarterback position and plans moving forward. We understand we have one quarterback here on our roster, and we have to add more at that position. And we know everybody gets excited about the quarterback. The quarterback is one piece to a team. As I've seen in San Francisco, what happens when you don't have that one guy? Is the season over? Are you just booking it? And No. How do you build around Right, build around that quarterback. Yes, we want a great quarterback, but no, we need a great offensive line to protect the quarterback. We need great running backs, great tight ends, great receivers. We need a great defense, special teams. We all play together, and that's the awesome part about football is it's not on one guy's shoulder to go out there and win the game for us. So it's all about building around right each other. Right and playing together, that's how we'll win games. Okay, bottom of the hour, uh, we will have audio. Nick Casario was on with John Harris and Mark Vandermeer last night on Texans All Access, and we'll have Nick talking about working with D'Amico to uh, to get this thing to get this thing moving. There's some good audio from Casario last night on how the first couple weeks of those two working together have gone. Um, Seth DJ Bianame had a piece on ESPN.com earlier this week, and the line that 
in here that jumped out at everybody was as follows. According to league sources familiar with the Texans' interview process, the front office in Houston told coaching candidates it plans on using the number two overall pick on a quarterback. Aha. Well, okay. For one, I, 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 I've noticed that almost everybody assumes that means that they're drafting a quarterback. Um, could very well mean that they're just going to use it, whatever it takes to, to trade for a quarterback Ooh, for help, okay. perhaps. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's in the cards. Or trade back, get an extra pick, use that pick as part of a package to trade for a veteran quarterback. Um, I... I think that the most likely scenario here is that there's a little bit of telephone game going on. Um, you know, unless um, unless a coach said specifically to DJ Bienname exactly what they told him in the interview, I think that this is a conversation that could very much have sounded like, hey, we're still evaluating, but yeah, if we really like a quarterback and you want this quarterback, we're going to take this quarterback. I don't, I don't know... I don't think that Casario in all of his years in his in this league would be in a position where he would actually try to dictate terms to the, the prospective head coach. You know, where he would say, hey, here's the deal, bucko. We're drafting a quarterback whether you like it or not. Yeah. Want to come work for us? Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think that I think the, the possibility was certainly discussed and that they probably were very willing to use that on a quarterback, but it would be in conjunction with, hey – how do you feel about it as head coach? What do you want to do? I, it just doesn't it, – it, I, I 100% believe that that was the version of – I 100% believe that DJ Biennium was told what he was told by yep. somebody who didn't get the story quite right. Right, right. That's just – that's how this stuff happens all the time. Yep, yeah. No, I'm definitely – I'm not calling BS on DJ's story and what he's reporting he heard. I, I think he's reporting it in my gut, and, and it sounds like you feel similarly. I think he's reporting it accurately, but game of telephone is the perfect way to put it. Now, as you pointed out – Let's go through the people that interviewed for the job with the Texans and figure out what the blabbermouth yep. factor is on these guys. Let's see. Uh, D'Amico Ryan, Shane Steichen, <laughs> Mike Kafka, Ben Johnson. Oh, here we go. Oh, Sean yeah. Payton. Sean Payton, who uh, who was basically Colin Coward just flat out said, yeah, Sean's been telling me everything. He right? told him about the interview with the Texans <laughs> on Zoom. Being yeah. a dysfunctional interviewer, whatever he said yeah. about that. Yeah. So whatever Sean Payton, between uh, drinking bouts of Patron and whatnot, had to say to whomever uh, about how it went, I would imagine Sean Payton was at least one of these sources. Yeah. Or somebody who talked to Sean Payton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you, you bring up an interesting scenario. I had not thought to the next level of what it could mean with the number two. I always just, when I read that sentence, I go, oh, yeah, okay, well, it, this is someone saying they're going to use the number two pick on C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, or Will Levis, or whoever. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, the way it reads, it just says uses it out of, to get a quarterback. Yeah, right? yeah, no, I just yeah. hadn't thought the way you – I mean, you were, you, yeah. you were thinking to the – and I think it's interesting to think that way. That's my point. As you said that, as you said that, I'm, I'm writing down, okay, who would be the quarterbacks that are worth trading a number two pick for? And there's really only two yeah. that, that would be involved in a trade because Derek Carr is free agent now. He's been cut. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a free agent. I would never trade the number two overall pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, the only two quarterbacks I think who are in a conversation like that are Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, has you know control over his situation. I don't think he's coming yeah. here. Jackson's interesting, um, but I guess I suppose Daniel Jones uh, would 
I mean, <laughs> wouldn't trade the number two pick for him either. <laughs> right, 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 right. Now, unless again, if you're Move talking back. about trading back yeah. and you know accumulating multiple first round picks and then packing that packaging something that into a into a Daniel Jones, then then perhaps. But again, I but I don't think the Giants would trade. Daniel Jones, unless they felt they had a crack at one of these top three guys. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that, that's that, – it's possible. I don't think it would be very popular, uh, and I don't think it's likely. I think you're right. Lamar Jackson might be the one. If they do a trade, and I, I, and I think I, I think acknowledging that possibility is the right thing to do, but I think, it, you know, the, the, look, the chalk is that they just sit there at two and they draft a quarterback probably. So we'll see. He's, uh, he's represented by himself and his mother yeah. instead of um, so we have no, we have Sean's no, agent. We have David no history. Yeah, yeah, we have no history with his agent, <laughs> him. As long as we can get along with his mother and, and she's not, you know, convincing – Lamar to ask right. for a new deal six months after his old one. Right, all right. right. exactly, exactly. Um, you brought up uh, Peyton. Um, can I just say I, I'm a I'm a little disgusted with a couple of our coworkers that they're just so in on Sean Payton being the best hire of this cycle. Oh my gosh! Specifically, so Clint Sterner and John McClain. Yeah. Like that, they just yeah. that Sean Payton is it, it just it, that he's the best hire <laughs> of this cycle. Like uh, McClain's McClain's so blinded by Sean Payton that he called him a workout fanatic. He did. That happened like a few weeks ago. Just dropped it casually, like it's like it's known. Not many guys. He's basically an Instagram model. He could be. He could be out there getting the big influencer dollars. Everybody knows he's going back to what he loves. He's coaching football and working out. He's got a Pilates YouTube channel that everybody loves. Just take a good look at him. (laughs) When he shows up on the sidelines wearing his Lululemon gear. He is going to be – he's going to shock the world. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, – yeah, I don't <laughs> – I mean, I I think you've got to acknowledge the fact they gave up draft capital to get him. The money yeah. they're paying him is the Walmart people's problem. I'm just – I like, I, I just – I think it's a cash grab. Like, to me, it's not – it's not – I'm not mad that they're spending money. I don't think it's irresponsible, the money part of it. If they have the money, there's no salary cap for coaches. If they want to spend $20 million on Peyton, go do it. I just think it's very indicative of why he's taking that job, I, yeah. and they had to overpay also to get him once they missed on D'Amico Ryan's. I think one of the issues with Sean Payton, it's not as it's not as in as much that um, I question his offensive acumen. It's where is he at this stage in his life, and why is he accepting this particular job? If if it's because he thinks, all right, look. It's going to be ugly for a couple of years, but I'm going to have to roll Russell Wilson out somehow, some way. Maybe we'll convince some other team to trade for Russell Wilson, and then I'll get somebody in there that I can work with. Then, then actually, it might be ugly for a couple of years, but then I think it might work out. If, if he's got so much hubris that he really thinks he's going to go in there and turn Russell Wilson into something that he really hasn't been in several years – then I have serious reservations about how it's going to work out there. Like his his coaching skill can only do so much. And look, he was a he was a bright offensive mind before he got to New Orleans. But between I think you know Pete Carmichael Jr., his kind of quasi offensive coordinator, and Drew Brees, that that went a long way to a lot of that success. And he's done he did well without those guys these last couple years when he's had to play without Drew Brees. But um, it's just such a bad situation there. I don't know how much his offensive skill and by the way the fact that he's been horrible historically at putting out a good defense I don't know how he overcomes all that well and I'd be scared about the way he left New Orleans cap wise New Orleans is 59 million dollars over the cap and they're floating around in the middle of nowhere right now you know what I mean that's a really good point they were able to 
use credit card spending to prop up those winning records for all those years. Yeah. This is a whole different scenario now. There's no The credit card's already been used on Russell Wilson. Yes. So yeah. how do you feel the roster around him without capsizing your future? Yeah. I don't know. He ain't Drew yeah. Brees right now. He's, he's not. All right. Um, Payne and Pendergast with you on a, uh, on a Thursday. Um, we mentioned Nick Casario. He was on Texans All Access last night. How has it been working with D'Amico Ryans and evaluating the current roster? We'll hear from the Texans GM next. Live from the Twin Peaks studios, Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. Fast forward to where we are now. I mean, it's been it's been awesome the last however many days since he's been here. Um, it's kind of funny. It's been he hasn't stopped because he's gone from end of their season, then he literally flew out here the next day for our kind of second follow up interview. Then we named the head coach. Then he went back to San Fran. Then he came back for the press conference. Then he went home. Now he's been here. And we, I mean, we have multiple discussions on a daily basis. He's actually been in some of our draft meetings. So he's just starting to hear about some of these players for the first time, sort of make some of his notes. I mean, he's been really a joy to work with. That was Nick Casario last night on Texans All Access talking about working with D'Amico Ryans. He, He had said just before that cut, reiterated, like the two didn't really know each other before the the job interview before they they met right. over Zoom, um, they knew he had, uh, they knew of each other, but they didn't know each other. Like the Patriots played against the Eagles at one point, there were a few situations like that. But other than that, they didn't really know each other. Um, and it sounds like they're getting along smashingly. I think I I when I saw the quote the first time of D'Amico having sat in on a few of the meetings, immediately I thought, okay, people are going to read into that because it's going to sound the way it read was oh. You know, oh, maybe it's like they're allowing D'Amico into the meetings or something. In context, it was very much said as, hey, D'Amico played in the championship game, came here, had to go to back to San Francisco, came back here now, and he's trying to get his coaching staff in order. They've been interviewing coaches. So D'Amico hasn't been able to, like, logistically participate in all the draft meetings. And that's just all the – that's the typical stuff that goes on right yeah. now. And the coaches in any organization – are, are kind of late to the personnel process anyway. After the season, they might take a week or two, and then they come back, and then they start they start getting basically the Cliff's Notes versions of all the guys they're supposed to be looking at that the the personnel people have identified. You know, and, and as Nick calls it, I think he said, put them into different buckets. So yep. that's where the, that's where they are right now. That's not like some kind of. Nick Casario trying to pull the strings and keep uh, D'Amico ignorant or something. I, I got a feel. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say what I'm going to say after we play this next one because we've talked before about, hey, Nick Casario. We asked Nick about this directly when he was on with us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, Nick's got his upbringing, if you will, in the Belichick system, uh, the you know Belichick University, and D'Amico has his the last six years in San Francisco and his time as a player, most of it with Gary Kubiak as his head coach. Here was Casario on blending the two views, head coach and general manager. I mean, I have a lot of respect and appreciation for him, both on a personal and professional level. We understand we have a lot of work ahead of us, but he's been great to work with and just try to be a resource and a sounding board and just really us kind of lean on each other a little bit, you know, respect where he's coming from on some things. I have some viewpoints and we kind of have to blend them together and ultimately into making good decisions for the organization. I kind of think, Seth, like I'm thinking about these last couple of years, and this is no disrespect to the two previous head coaches this is just my opinion yeah. um you know lovey lovey had head coach traits obviously and 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 i think lovey is a smart football guy who's probably a little antiquated david cully was david cully 
I got to imagine someone like Nick, who is a really smart football guy, I got to imagine he welcomes the level of conversations he's able to have with this head coach, with D'Amico Ryans on prospects, looking at things, fit, Nick learning some things from D'Amico and vice versa. I got to imagine that for somebody like Nick, who's pretty intellectual, that it's stimulating to have somebody like D'Amico Ryans to talk to. I I think especially... I, when I kind of lit up and realized, you know what, I missed an angle here, was when D'Amico talked about Chip Kelly at the press conference and how he had played under Chip Kelly and learned about just always being on the cutting edge of the sports science, the physical recovery, the analytics, all of that. Um, I think that a lot of GMs right now in the league would get really excited when the guy who's calling card, like D'Amico's calling card in a lot of ways this last couple of years has been that, man, those 49ers are a physically bruising bunch. They come up and they beat the snot out of you. And yet at the same time, D'Amico's totally into all the more advanced side of things. Like, that's a nice way. That's, a, that's an A.J. Hinch type of guy. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. In a lot of ways, this is one of the ways in which I feel like, okay, the Texans are doing some of the things that the Astros did a good job of. You find a coach like A.J. Hinch who can marry both sides. Former player who gets that gets those guys, but totally understands and appreciates the analytical side of things. Hires an offensive coordinator who spent two years of pro football focus. All of that. The other thing that I thought of in terms of, you know, what can these two bond over? If, if we're talking about two different offensive systems, two different approaches, mindsets, whatever. My God, the importance or the effectiveness of tight ends in that San Francisco offense versus in the Patriots offense when they were really at one of their peak levels. And not to mention that, not to mention just that the tight ends help, but that the tight ends, especially if you have a guy like a Gronk or if you have a guy like a Kittle or if you have an Aaron Hernandez, a a law-abiding Aaron Hernandez, um, or an Owen Daniels, it's that you put the defense in a bind and you very much – make it hard for them to figure out what personnel to put on the field, whether you're going to try to stop the pass or stop the run. And that's going to be a common theme with both D'Amico because he appreciates it as a defensive coordinator. He's seen it with the offenses on the teams he's been on, and and certainly the Patriots know all of that very well. And then the other thing, too, is um, all those all those tight ends that I just mentioned, none of them came in the first round. Like, they were – they were as much beneficiaries of the system as they were drivers of the system. Yeah, that's you know it's funny you say that because you're you're laying out the importance of the tight end, and of course, as has been pointed out to me by Nick himself, I have a proclivity for Michael Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame, who's the best tight end in this draft. But there's other yeah. good tight ends. There's like three or four like really good first round graded to early second round graded tight ends in this draft. You're laying that out. I'm like, well, there's no way they get past day two and don't have a tight end. But you're right. Like, George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. I think Tegan Catoriano, who they drafted last year in the fifth or sixth round out of Oregon State, I think has a chance plugged into the right system. Because he was drafted for his blocking, but he did show some things this season that he is pretty athletic, especially down in the red zone, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I think the other big thing, too, where – Perhaps sometimes we overly simplify things. We talk about, okay, well, what's a, what's a Shanahan or Gary Kubiak-type system compared to Sean McVay's tweak on it or all of that? And, you know, well, the, the Kubshanistan system doesn't necessarily want a slot receiver type. Well, like, let's not act like Gary Kubiak um, or any of those guys have never tried to get a, a classic slot receiver. It's just that it didn't always work out that way. Obviously, the Patriots just, you know, that was their trademark was having – 
some Wes Welker, some Julian Edelman, some slippery little dude that was a, a bargain find. Um, but I think that those, like, that's not something that those guys are going to argue about. I think if they have, if, like John Mechie, for instance. It's not like D'Amico's going to come in here and be like, nope, I only want big wide receivers, not this tough yeah. little badass who just beat cancer. Right. Nope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, let's get to another one from Kasir. How fast did he beat cancer? Not fast enough. Dude. dude. Get him out of hey, here. According to Nick, pretty fast. Remember, he's, I know. he said he's in he better shape incredible. now. Yeah, he's better yeah. shape now than when he arrived in the building last year. Um Casario, last night on Texans All Access, here he is on evaluating the current roster with D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, it's important. I mean, I can have my opinions about like where we think the team is or what do we think of mm-hmm. a certain player. He's taken the last, you know, however many days he's gone through our team, you know, which is a pretty substantial exercise, but to familiarize himself with and we wouldn't play we didn't play San Francisco this year. We played him in a preseason. We played yeah. him last year in two thousand twenty one. So understanding our players, understanding our team, and then if he has a question, then I can kind of fill in the gaps. So let him kind of create his own opinion, because you don't want to just force an opinion on a player. Well, here's what I think. Okay, well, it doesn't mean that's right. It just means, well, here's maybe here's some background. Okay, how do you view the player? Does this player fit? Do you think it makes sense? So we've gone through some position fits. What's important? What's important on a defensive line? What's important at defensive tackle? What's important at defensive end? What's important at linebacker? Can you play with this person at nickel? What are some of the criteria? And doing that on both sides of the ball so that as you're bringing players onto the team or considering players, you're factoring all those variables in. All right, you and I both started laughing at about the same juncture during that cut. I'm going to let you go first. What did you light up about during that, uh, during that cut? Um, you started smiling at like 30 seconds in. I have a reason why I did. I just saw you start smiling. Uh, I was thinking about Kadarius Tony, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> because, okay. Yeah, because I, I apparently – okay, so originally what I was thinking was this. So Wade Phillips had told me once that, like, you know, you got to be careful when you come into a new place because a lot of times, for whatever reason, the previous staff might think a guy is a bum, and then he ends up being, like – your favorite guy ever. Yeah. But then in another situation, they might say like, this is the guy best ever. And for whatever reason, he's a bum for you. Like the, the situation matters a lot uh, more so than people realize. So I was thinking about that. Like, you know, I think Nick, you know, Nick might have a, a negative appraisal of one guy, but yeah. he ends up being okay with D'Amico. We don't know. But then I was, <laughs> apparently whatever Kadarius Tony's locker room issues were at New York, <laughs> They were definitely issues. I don't know what it was, but I've just heard people talk like, no, 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 no. He had to go. Yeah, to go. yeah. So yeah. he had to go. <laughs> do yeah. you know more about it than I do? I just, I've just heard people say like, ah, no, no, he, he had to get out of it. Yeah, the Giants didn't mess that up. He had to get the hell out of yeah, it. Yeah, no, I just, he, he was, it sounded like he was very immature is what I, rem- is what yeah. I recall. Like he'd made plays in the Super Bowl. The, the, yeah, that happened. I mean, sometimes like a, I don't know. I have zero clue about Kadarius Tony. I'm thinking about other situations we've sure. heard of where maybe like a, a player sleeps with another player's wife or something. Like, okay, he's he's yeah. got to eject. Okay, on the that. team couldn't make it work. There's but some that guy's things. Go. Some things yeah. the film doesn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, like this yeah. guy's horny as hell. Like, yeah. You can't crush the Saints for getting rid of this guy. He's a little rambunctious. Yeah. I was I was laughing for totally different reasons because as Nick was laying out how they're doing that, like he's he made it sound like. He made, you know what he made it sound like? He made it sound like when you and I are texting each other and we, one of us has found like audio or something we think will be good for the show and and whoever found it says to the other guy like don't listen to it. I want you yeah, to react yeah. organically. It yeah. sounded like that cuz he's like, you know, we're like Demico's looking at the players and I'm not injecting my opinion. I want him to formulate his own opinion, but I'm just 
I'm picturing like I think in the, like the worst case scenario the, for the Texan fan that's still like most skeptical that they yeah. hear that and they go, yeah, he's probably letting D'Amico form his own opinions, and then D'Amico gives his opinions, and then he tells him how wrong he is. Like, so, <laughs> so, what, what do you think of this, uh, Chris? What do you, <laughs> what, do you, what, do you what do you think of this Kenyon Green? Uh, well, you know, look, I see some things on film where there's something to work with here, Nick. You know, like, uh, like uh, you know, he's he's very athletic. You know, if he gets in the in the right hands with the right offensive line coach, and I think in this system, it's a run based system. I think he could do a, a lot of things right. Yep. Nope. Sorry, D'Amico. He's trash. <laughs> he was bad his rookie year. It's just a wrong draft pick by me, and we need to move on. Okay, next. Uh, John Metchie. Yeah, like it. That that's that's what I was picturing, like like a quiz show or something like that. <laughs> that's um. I wonder, and that's the thing too about GMs that I, I think sometimes again we've had some soap opera type drama around here for the last few years, so I get why people kind of are pre-wired to think that way. I am myself. It's better for ratings if, if there is actual drama going on. But I think for the most part, with most GMs, guys who have been in personnel for a long time, they are actually, they might have cocky aspects to them, but most of them are also really humble because you don't, you're not in that job without being wrong a whole bunch. So GMs generally, even the bad ones, like generally, yeah, they want guys with different opinions. They want to be able to see what their blind spots are. Like very few GMs are going to hear one of their scouts say, I don't like this guy, and then immediately shut him down. Yeah. You know, it's just not the way they're wired. There are, you hear stories about like the really bad ones or the just the tyrannical idiots that are like that. But for the most part, and Nick strikes me as this one, he's, you have to, you absolutely just 100% have to respect people's divergent opinions otherwise why do you have them on your staff yeah you know like if everybody agrees with you then it, apparently like you hired a bunch of yes men and there's no reason for them to be there anyway so just move on there's still a lot of people who i feel like are just you know kind of watching super intently to see what when when is the relationship between these two gonna crack when is nick gonna go all patriots on D'Amico and just in, inject his opinion on everything and make him take all these and i just i I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I think they're going to work really well together. This is what I, I can tell you. I'm not going to tell people how to fan, but I can just tell you from the first couple weeks of this D'Amico Ryan's era and the collaboration with Nick Casario that it's a whole lot more fun consuming it with the assumption that they're going to work well together than trying to find, oh, my God, he's making him interview Nick Cayley. Making him interview? D'Amico might want to interview him. Like, he might think right. he's good at it, too. So, right. I, 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 look, I... I understand what these last three years have done to Texan fans looking at things skeptically. I totally get it. Yeah, I think there were total power struggles between Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien. You know, and then, again, with all those things, there's different levels. You know, I guess probably the quote-unquote power struggle that was the weirdest in Houston recent history was Dwight Howard and James Harden because it seems like they never actually it seems like they just didn't see things the same way but we're never going to actually confront each other on right. it. I almost get a sense in a way that maybe it was like that with Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien. Like it maybe it just got to a point where they didn't see it eye to eye but neither one wanted to be the guy that was going to go and try to get the other one ousted. Who knows? Um, but it was. It wasn't. It, it did not seem at the end like a very productive working relationship. No. Uh, so far until I think generally these things start out as pretty productive, good working relationships until they're not. Right now we're we're definitely in the honeymoon uh, period. Yeah, no question. Yeah, they haven't they haven't even picked one player. They haven't signed one free agent since the two got together. I'm just telling you, that's the the lens I choose to look at it through, and it's made it fun the last couple of weeks. Makes me love every bit of content coming out of the Texans right now.
Um, trailer wheel and frame text page. To, to the point we were just making here, here's a, here's a text from 0780. It's believed Casario has final say on personnel, so that assumes draft picks. But what if the dominoes fall a certain way with the first pick and D'Amico and Nick are at odds with the choice for number two? Who do you really think gets the final say with McNair's okay. sign-off? Right, right. And that's the thing. Like, honestly, if you're in, if you have a situation like that, especially in year one where all of a sudden they can't figure it out, then you fire everybody immediately. Yeah. Like, that's just like, no, that's Sean Payton spoke about this at his press conference. And I I know I've been bashing Sean Payton a little bit lately because it's fun, but he also says a lot of really, really good stuff. And he's obviously a successful coach. I'm sorry. We have one listener who, um, uh, quit the station yesterday, apparently, Sean, because I was too, um, because he, he, he wanted to defend Sean Payton too much. Okay. So anyway, um, Sean Payton said, like, look, the entire 15 years he was with Mickey Loomis, they never had an argument or, like, butted heads over the draft or free agency or anything like that. He said they used to argue all the time about little things like the promotional terrible towel type things and everything. But as far as, like, the actual personnel stuff, like, yes, there are disagreements. But generally, just like if you have a business partner, like, yeah, think about this. I I feel like this is what I think this is why Nick Casario sometimes, you know, tells people to just calm down a little bit about the draft. Think about this. We're asking, like, basically, would you go into a successful uh, family owned furniture store where uh, two brothers own and run it and like basically be and, and act like at any given moment? They might have a disagreement that's unresolvable, and how the hell are they going to finish it? Like, what are you going to do? You guys can't figure out a price on. You can't figure out how much to mark down for the Labor Day sale. Who's the final answer? <laughs> Who has final say? That's so true. How will you figure it out? So like, they don't. I promise you, they don't treat a third round draft pick like the same way that we do. Right? Like, it's not because they understand the fallibility of draft picks. It's a. It's a probability proposition well, you know well and this the way this question's worded what if the dominoes fall a certain way with the first pick and D'Amico and Nick are at odds on the choice for number two that implies that something's going to happen on draft night that they haven't planned for they're picking second like every contingency yeah. will have been planned for what if somebody moves ahead of us what if the yeah. Bears take this guy what if the Bears hit what if the Bears throw a curveball and take Bryce Young you know it's they know what they're going to do that the other thing too as far as like okay if if McNair has to be the tiebreaker. Now, there might be situations, I don't know, where like people with a good relationship might be like, you know what, we're, we're genuinely at odds with this. Let's, let's ask the owner's opinion on this. The owner, and a football owner generally, until he wants to stick his foot in, does not want the people he's paying millions of dollars a year to come to him and be like, Daddy, um, Daddy, we can't figure out whose turn it is to, uh, to have the pop guns. Could you please tell us? Right. You know, like, that's not what he wants. Yeah. If he, now, if he wants to stick his foot in and, and you say, like, all right, Look, this is my decision, guys, and so be it. Yep. All right. Daddy! <laughs> Father! Father! Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, uh, we're heading into the 7 o'clock hour. Let's circle back. Spring training starts today. Um, how do we get sufficient uh, vitriol built up for the baseball season on the first day of spring training? Play something stupid that a New York Yankee said about the Houston oh. Astros. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the dumbest things you'll ever hear. And yeah. you guys listen to our show. 